Well, thanks guys for joining me today. We're at the uh, PlayStation Music Group's office here in San Mateo. I'm with Matt Levine, who's the uh, music producer, Scott Hanau, who's the senior music editor, and Jonathan Mayer, who's the senior music manager for the PlayStation Music Group. How are you guys doing? Great. Doing good. Cool. Thank you. I was really excited just to regroup with you because I was probably here two years ago. Maybe you? Was it about two years? Right after we opened the place. Yeah. Yeah. What was that like just to open the, the studio, to redo the studio? Um, give people a sense of what the space kind of is, the, the capacity and the type of work that you guys are doing. Well, we, um, we had a facility about a mile from here um, that uh, Chris Polonos, who's a studio designer and um, fabulous, uh, well, he's great at just about everything, but um, he's a great musician. And, yeah. Uh, he... Uh, he uh, designed the monitor systems we use, and he also was integral in designing our, our old facility. Um, and we knew that um, the company was moving to a new campus uh, about three years ago. Mm. Um, and he was brought in to consult. And so we had like a really cool period with a lot of support from the company of just um, putting together plans for this place. Um, the results are that we have um, 17, we have 19 studios here, 17 individual suites that um, Chris has dubbed pods. Um, mm -hmm. And they're like individual offices, but they're like world-class 5.1 um, uh, production suites. And then we have um, two collaborative rooms. One is um, our Studio A is a mix room um, primarily that, that Chris designed. And off of that, we have um, a, a pretty small live room. And then our Studio B is a tracking room. And it's a really nice sized live room that sounds totally amazing. And that since the last time you were here, we've used on a whole bunch of products. Um, there's tons of stuff we've published that's been recorded in there. And the um, control room for that is like a proper tracking room. We've got an API 1608 console in there, tons of gear, and uh, we've been having a great time working in there. So I guess what is the task of the PlayStation Music Group? How do you describe the, the scope of work that you guys are, are dealing with? Well, what we do is we basically uh, almost function like a little company within uh, Sony PlayStation, right. and we provide uh, music services to uh, the teams that are actually creating the games. So that can include anything from uh, music licensing services and contracting uh, to music production, uh, composer search, style guide creation, uh, production implementation, and all or, or, or just one of the above. So <clears throat> we can slot into a team basically as, as part of their team to provide that level of, of support for whatever whatever they need. I mean, certain games are only looking for music licensing, and mm -hmm. certain games, uh, they may have a composer in mind, or they may need our help to find a composer, help with the contracting. Uh, the guys here in this room, a lot of what we do is actually the, you know, that, that creative, fun, juicy part of, you know, figuring out what the game needs in terms of, you know, the sound and finding the right composer for that, and then we sort of slot into that composer's team, essentially, and support them in scoring the game, uh, and then doing all of that recording, editing, mixing, implementation, testing, and, you know, it's a lot of stuff. <laughs> yeah, it sounds like a lot. It's, it's just a lot of fun. We're uh, lucky to do it. How does a project end up in your guys' lap when, how does it get to you? How does that process work? Um, it, it depends. I mean, um, the development teams, I think more and more the as the bar goes up across the industry for um, the expectations for a user experience, for, for a gamer experience um, in our products, um, regardless of the scope of the project or the budget, um, the expectations just keep going up out there in the marketplace. And people, you know, since we all, we've all been here right about 10 years, and since we joined, even the the line between you know the various mediums that we all consume uh, um, visually has blurred so much you know so there's much less of a distinction and and we're trying to obliterate it actually <laughs> between you know film and TV and and games and stuff like that and and I think when I first came to this industry you know there was uh, a lot of people felt there was a big difference between like a game composer and a film composer yeah. And we don't really believe that at all anymore. And that what we find, to answer your question, what we find is like teams 
um, looking around and more and more and saying, you know, yeah, you know, the traditional method might be like uh, an audio director has these massive amounts of work heaped on them at a game developer and they and they find they have to outsource things. They might have a small team. There might be a few, you know, audio guys on the team and someone who um, has experience and affinity for music generally kind of winds up handling that task and maybe even like level designers like people who aren't music production people might be tasked with placing music in their game levels or something and, and so this is like that's like the very old model and what we do that's unique is we bridge that gap we we we're all um from the world of music production we've all done you know just sort of what anyone would consider sort of normal music production we work in all the same studios that the film cats do and stuff like yeah. that however we also approach all of that with the mindset of this being asset creation for an interactive medium and that expertise is something that it would be really hard for any old development team to have in-house and sort of justify the cost of because a development cycle might be three years or four years or five yeah, years yeah really long and they don't need us that whole right. time so we kind of show up on mass and just you know uh tackle all this work that matt was talking about throughout the project and and you might you know if you if you're being super practical and you're running a, a game developer you might look at it in terms of headcount and go well i've got you know three audio guys already now you're telling me i need two more to get this level of music and what our team can do is say no not really i mean i mean you know over the next three years you just need this this you know additional expense that's a trickle mm -hmm. on your project and then at times nine guys will show up and do tons of production work and they all know what they're doing and they've all been in communication the whole time so there's no training involved and yeah. then they go away yeah. Um, so it's kind of like this roving sort of band of special forces guys that, that I get that. I get just that. do Sounds music production. <laughs> <laughs> what are some of the success stories over the years that you guys are really proud of that, that stand out? I mean, Uncharted 2 and The Last of Us, for me, uh, getting, getting to work with Naughty Dog, uh, which is uh, a developer. Growing up, I would play their games, and we started working with them on the first Uncharted game, and... Uh, they have continually set the bar gameplay-wise what we have tried to do music-wise, and it's really just been a really fulfilling, you know, ma match creatively, technically, um, you know, and I think now uh, other games in the industry are looking at some of those games as trying to set that new bar. Right. Um, yeah. So it's been, you know, really rewarding to be a part of, you know, what I think of as is kind of like a, you know, a stepping stone, you know, forward in game audio. Uh, yeah, I, I think that um just kind of piggybacking on Scott's point that, you know, it, zooming way out, I think what I've witnessed happening um, for our team over the years and, and the people we've been lucky enough to collaborate with, like Naughty Dog and Sucker Punch Productions in Seattle and our Santa Monica studio uh, inside of Sony and, um, you know, all the, all the teams we've gotten to really dig in with and work with for, for long periods of time is that this understanding, like reshaping the way that we as an industry think about music as a craft. And that sounds really weird and kind of lofty when mm -hmm. I say it, but, but I think that it's, it's not, you know, I, I said earlier, you know, we're producing assets for an inter interactive medium, but, but to get the mindset, that's the fact of what we're doing. But the mindset is that it's just, it's another piece of environmental art or a texture or I mean like it's a piece of the game design and we're starting to see folks in the current you know sort of uh, generations that are working on games now uh, level designers and mm -hmm. people like that actually coming to us and collaborating on things that are much more granular and have much more of an impact on the product and it could be something simple like a level designer saying you know hey Matt check out this this scene in my level like how could we make this more impactful yeah. and and Matt having an opportunity to say well you know if you if you took the camera away from the player for 5 seconds and panned across the scenery i could get the composer to score that and it would be a lot more cinematic or mm -hmm. what you know like there are all these opportunities that people are starting to wake up to mm -hmm. that didn't exist when you didn't have the kind of support we provide and and so it's that mm. i think that's the biggest success and and our work with naughty dog has had a lot to do with it 
and just um, having the time and the ability to communicate with developers um, on their projects that way and kind of, um, you know, stimulate that kind of thinking early in a project. It's hard because music's one of the last things you think of and it's hard to envision it without the game being like really playable and visually sure. finished just well, like with a film. That's what I'm wondering is, so how do you stay busy per se throughout the year when it's those releases every two or three years per se? How, what is the rest, how would you describe your day-to-day or week-to-week? Well, we, I mean, we tend to be working on multiple projects at a time. And yeah. so our team is, is very dynamic in terms of, you know, I, I might work on two or three or four projects a day. I mean, all the, all the guys in this room, uh, m- many of the people in our department uh, do that. And that's very intentional. Um, we, <clears throat> the, the game industry used to come from a place where it was the audio guy right. that Jonathan was talking about, this proverbial audio guy who basically did everything. It was someone who knew a little about a bit about coding and probably had some affinity for music and basically took care. If you heard it, that person made it happen. Yeah. And uh, we've seen over time that uh, not only does that burn people out completely, um, but they get to the point towards the end of the project where they get too busy that they can even get help because all of the systems are just frequently in their head. Yeah. And, um, you know, we, we saw that happening and we've been working diligently, you know, for, for many years now to, to make sure that uh, all of our workflow is basically uh, exposed and shared and documented. And we, you know, we have a methodology for how we do all of this stuff. Now, granted, every game is different. It always requires uh, us looking at it from every angle and making sure that we're, we're you know, putting our best foot forward and, and innovating and making sure that we're, you know, really bringing something special to that game. But all of this sort of um, nuts and bolts, the plumbing of mm-hmm. how we actually get our stuff produced and how we get games spotted and, and how we find composers and all of it is, uh, you know, a process that we all share collaboratively. And so generally, except for Scott here, nobody gets nailed. <laughs> so? he, well, he That's he tends nice. he tends <laughs> he tends to be pretty pretty in demand when it comes because he's he's uh, and he's I'm going to make him blush. He's an exceptional guy when it comes to all of this implementation specialization. He's right. you know one of a kind, and so he tends to be pretty in demand towards the end of a product uh, cycle when when we've got to figure out why the music is or isn't playing in a certain level. And, sure. Yeah. Which is something I was going to add is, you know, how do you differentiate between, per se, you know, a music producer, music editor, and a senior music manager? Well, I, I mean, it sounds like because I imagine you could all, like you're saying, be doing the same thing, but yet you're yeah, not. Yeah, and that, those are those are corporate titles. That, exactly. Right. So, <laughs> how, do you, how do you describe the dif- the difference of of kind of role? Well, as a manager, my role involves. Um, managing right. people and also um we funnel projects um we have our our team is um is uh spread out between this location mm-hmm. in san mateo california um our office in uh playa vista um, which is another place where we've just uh opened another chris polonis design facility like mm-hmm. this one it's a little smaller but it's fantastic right and um and so that's in LA and then we have an office in San Diego too and um, there are two of us managers who we kind of funnel the projects to at the like project management level Mm -hmm. and then um, you know beyond that we do kind of all do the same things but I think some of us based on our backgrounds have a little more like to Matt's point like Scott's got a vast amount more experience than either of us hands-on implementing music into games right. and then yeah. matt and i both came up working in recording studios and with like more of a traditional music production background right. so we tend to lean that way a little bit you know if if it comes to pulling together um an orchestra for a session that's not to say that any of us here couldn't do that kind of stuff because we do right. all work together and we've all been doing it for a long time but we kind of we kind of divide and conquer along some of those lines um mm-hmm. In general, like the old guys, <laughs> too, <laughs> came from the recording studios because these kind of gigs didn't exist. Yeah. Right. Well, where do you guys tend to go if it's not physically recorded here? Where else are you going around the world to to capture some of these scores and music? We've gone. Uh, we recorded The Last of Us in uh, the orchestral parts in Nashville with a really interesting band. Um, Uncharted Three was done in London. 
um, at Abbey Road. At Abbey Road, uh, we've worked at Skywalker. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, it really depends on uh, a creative fit for the project, um, and yeah, what makes uh, the most sense, uh, player-wise. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and we we um so yeah, really, it's it's basically if you look at you know any music production for media, um, film, television, whatever, it's it's um, at that level, it's basically the same we just happen to have this facility and we make use of it a lot um for smaller stuff the the largest uh ensemble i think we could that we've been able to comfortably fit in the room here and still have it sound really nice and open was about 20 strings so anything beyond that we tend to kind of go out elsewhere um so yeah and and we've done a lot of work in nashville we've um you know, obviously, there's a huge pool of talent in Los Angeles, and we'd love to work there. Um, we've worked at Abbey Road and Air Studios in London um, a lot. We'll be recording Uncharted 4 uh, in, uh, soon. <laughs> <laughs> well, what can you say? In, because I just was approached by someone who was interested in getting into, you know, video game music or audio, and there's there's a it's, there's a difference in the type of work because there's implementation that has to be kind of understood. Did you guys have that coming into this type of work when when you were first looking to work at PlayStation? Not, was not really. It was it was interesting going through school. Uh, my first experiences uh, with implementation, which was on the SOCOM games, um, mm-hmm. was vastly different from what I learned in in school. Um, <laughs> and uh, you know, it was it was its own education in and of itself. And now I think with the sort of middleware tools like Wise and FMOD that are able to be taught. Uh, you're seeing uh, a lot more education in, in terms of those tools. Uh, you know, 10 years ago when I graduated, everything was proprietary, basically, right. I think. So uh, it's interesting to see a lot of people be able to mimic each other, too. And I mean, is there a tip, really, to people who are interested in getting into this type of work? Do they need to have an understanding before getting to apply to you guys? I, I think you that? need to be... I think you need to be an audio... Uh, you need to be thoroughly versed in in audio which and by that i mean educated i don't we Mm. don't expect someone with a degree from a trade school or a university Mm. in music production or audio or or sound design or anything to really know how to do anything we just expect them to be educated (laughs) but but i think for us and guys i mean tell me if i'm wrong i think it's more about someone's passion for the medium mm-hmm. yep. than any experience they have if they're starting out if, if they're a first timer in that um we've interviewed folks in the past for internships and things like that and it it's apparent to us and we ask targeted questions right off the bat to determine this like whether or not someone's doing this specifically because they're passionate about games mm-hmm. or because they're into audio and here's a company with an opening Right. something audio related right, right. and and right, yeah. uh we as an industry i think tend to sort of sniff those people out really quickly because the one thing we all have in common here on our team um and on the sound design team that's based here too is like everybody's like crazy into games that's why i'm wondering how you guys get any work done <laughs> when, when, when your when your work is theoretically the line gets blurred very easily. <laughs> yeah. uh, playing like, games is work. It's, it's not like, weird to walk by somebody's office and be like, oh, what's he playing? You look at Matt's schedule and he has two hours blocked out for something. That's and... true. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's interesting because, you know, when uh, I, I have, uh, you know, some some uh, nieces and nephews in my family who always tease me uh, and say that I just go to work and play video games all day. And I can't say that it's not true. But right. what I can say <laughs> is that it's not as much fun as it sounds because actually yeah. we're testing them. And so we're actually playing through the same level. I mean, you right. know, it, we're playing through the same level to see if the music is broken. Now, having said that, yeah, we do also play games, you know, for just just to play them and to talk about them in our personal lives. We, you know, we work on games all day and then we go home and we, you know, uh, play games up. that work. Yeah, <laughs> well, we hook, up, we hook up online and throw hand grenades at each other. Right. So you know, there's uh, there's a lot of uh, you know passion towards just just like Jonathan was saying. We all really love the games, and I think um, our internship program would be a good place to start yeah. if someone is interested in doing that. Uh, that quality of passion is is very important uh, because that's I think every single person in this department just really cares about this stuff and 
would be doing it if for some reason uh, hopefully it doesn't happen, but if Sony, you know, changed their thing and we didn't have jobs here for some reason, we would all end up together at someplace else doing very similar work. Yeah, doing the same yeah, thing. I'm, and oh, good. oh, oh uh, no, I was just gonna say, um, and it, it kind of depends, you know, um, for the theoretical person that's asking that question, it depends also on like uh, what specifically they want to do, because I think you know, like sometimes we get candidates for internships that want to be composers. And they're sort of looking at it as an opportunity to sort of get the inside, you know, like right. see the inside of the of the company that they want to go to work for as a contractor or something. And uh, and some of those interns have, have gotten the gig and worked out great. But in general, you know, we try to steer people towards the thing that they want to do. So if somebody knows they want to be a, com a composer, then it's like, you know, you should probably be working for a composer right out of school mm -hmm. um, who's doing what you want to do and learning a trade because it's it's a it's it's a business. I mean, each, you know, big name composers, uh, are a brand and they have a company and they, you know, it's like, and, and, and I think we all uh, being artists and, and idealists and stuff, we, we want to fantasize that it's not like that, you know, that it's, a, but, yeah, it, but sure. that's what it is. And it's a business and there's a lot of money involved and there's, there's, um, you, you have to be able to produce whatever it is, whether it's editing. So we always tell students or, or, uh, enthusiasts, if they're trying to get into it, you know, that say, oh, I learned, you know, I, I learned how to use Pro Tools in school. And I always ask them, well, do you use Pro Tools at home? Like, do you have a rig at home? Because sure, you're, yeah. you're not getting en enough hours at school. I don't care what school you go to, <laughs> yeah. to really know Pro Tools the way pros do, you know, when you go into a right. studio and see somebody running it. Um, and so I think it's that kind of thing to Matt's point, like, like, uh, is this the thing you're just going to do no matter what? And if so, then yeah, pursue it. Because what I don't like to hear is people talk, discourage people from getting into it. Because it's like this really fun thing, and it's right. hard to get into. And so, and I, and I hate to hear someone who's up and coming and enthusiastic about it get told, you know, oh, it's a one in a million. It's not. It's right. it's not. You just have to. It's like any industry. You have to be super into it and and have some perseverance, right. and you'll get an opportunity. Yeah. Well, I can imagine all of you guys being here for close to ten years. It, it takes a little more than just the work and the paycheck to make you last that long because I can imagine the hours and the, the demand on you guys can be kind of, you know, I guess where the industry has gone in terms of these titles, it's not anywhere near kind of uh, the breadth of kind of experiences or, you know, fidelity, just video game music and audio has completely changed in the past five years. I mean, each iteration of a game console, it's gotten more complex and there's more choices to be made. And, and where do you guys find... You, being today with a you know PlayStation 4 console being your main deliverable, how do you describe just where you're at now? Well, that that's a really good question actually, and it and it it's sort of um, underneath all this technology that we're talking about, we're still just basically talking about um, experiences. We're talking about generally st storytelling, and uh, we're trying to convey some kind of usually an emotional kind of experience and excitement or or you're telling a story, so there's whatever emotions are involved in that story. And the technology and the increased fidelity help to make that a more immersive experience, a more believable experience, a more fun experience. I mean, at the end of the day, we're, we're an entertainment platform and, and uh, we're trying to convey a story that a, that a director or game creator has, has created. It's our job to sort of underscore that. So all of the particulars of well this is surround or you know this is virtual reality or mm -hmm. you know all of the different formats that we might be presenting in we need to become experts at that in order to tell the story better yeah, yeah. even for you scott can you you know how do you describe just the the shift in terms of with new technologies and the type of work that you're doing what do you notice now because you're i'm sure you're still recording in high resolution nothing you know, I, I think as you get further along, you kind of follow technology, but... Yeah, absolutely. Bandwidth-wise, I mean, going from uh, a lot of PlayStation 3 games to the even later generation generation on PlayStation 3, we went from uh, doing most of our games in stereo with an in-game uh, reverb to supply the surrounds, and now mm -hmm. everything is mixed uh, in quad. Everything's recorded with that in mind, the highest resolution. Um, and... You know, a lot of a lot of the changes are really incremental, uh, and it, it's hard. It's why for me, when it's hard to project, you know, what's going to happen in, sure. in five years, and you know, uh, we just get a, we try to get like a little bit better on every game, you know, mm -hmm. and it's like looking back, 
you know, I can see, you know, huge, you know, increases in, in technology and, and the storytelling medium and how we philosophy wise even like look at games, uh, you know, and but like, you know, looking two days ahead is a lot harder. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And it feels like I've been thinking about this a lot lately. I don't know if you guys feel this too, because we haven't really talked about it, but it feels like the, there there was always, there were always like these, I mean, because it's technology and because there's sort of everybody wants their thing to be the best. There were were always like all these fights. It seemed like in the, Mm. in the, you know, like a long time ago, you're always fighting for streaming bandwidth or RAM or uh, a programmer's time. And it feels like in general, and this is a huge generalization that the expectations and the, and the um, sort of acceptance of the, the kind of quality and the, and where the bar is at as far as entertainment goes, it feels like, and it's hard to say right now, maybe we'll look back on this and know when it happened, but it feels like we've kind of crossed some line where that's just like less of an issue than okay. it used to be. It's a, I don't feel like producers question those kind of things like the way they did when we first started. And, sure. And, and, and you know, and maybe we're just really lucky, and it's it's because we do work with a lot of really awesome, we supportive do. people. Yeah. But at the same time, it seems like when we talk to people from around in the industry, that in general, things have just sort of like gotten out there, and and now. I don't think we're operating in the same world as film yet, as far as budgets go and stuff, but I think we're producing that same level of quality. And in a lot of ways, I think we've gotten even better at some of the brass tacks of those crafts, like like getting more out of a budget um, because the expectation is the same, right? Like right. somebody will hear a game score in a film. I mean, we had a, a game score for the game journey that we published uh, a couple years ago that was the first ever video game score nominated for a grammy yeah. as a soundtrack and um the like the the playing field seems to be by the you know from the public side to be considered like sort of one one big playing field um so it, it seems like less of a fight to, to like get that stuff I, now. I think I mean, that that's accurate. I also think that maybe we've gained some of their trust. <laughs> probably. Yeah. And and also <laughs> I think I think the industry so. <laughs> the industry as a whole has also, you know, you look at the games that are really uh really successful and, you know, the the big blockbuster games and the production quality is very high. So if I'm a game director and I look at that and I say I want that, I want yeah. something at that level, I think that they're a little more comfortable saying, well, I'm going to have to pay X amount for, you know, a real Top class. I mean, if we if we think about where video games are now, that we're you can experience it in a surround format. Which when I heard the Uncharted Four gameplay in surround, it was like completely immersive and a, a better experience than I think what you experience in a in a film score. Being and I've been on sound stages. I've heard you know so many different iterations of people trying to reproduce kind of what real life scenarios sound like. But yet, I think the open sandbox type of feel of a video game produces a really interesting mix and what is your guys' take on the user there most people are gonna be on maybe headphones or a sound bar or a tv but you guys are also you're not thinking about i think you're just trying you're just just trying to produce the best experience right it's not necessarily about yeah well for us on the music side mixing there i mean there's kind of two different answers to that but i'll just talk about like when we mix our scores Mm -hmm. um we mix in quad as as these guys were saying um primarily because uh we i mean we stay out of the center channel for dialogue and sound effects um and it's just you know we've tried it different ways and that seems to be cleanest it also is one less channel to deal with technic on a technical level um and that you know trying to stream these assets um in the game uh we don't send any music to the LFE because um, we're assuming, you know, our market isn't a movie theater. It's a home theater at best. I mean, that's like the high end of it. Or to your point, it's headphones. So so we assume some consumer device is making a decision um, about base management. And so we, but we test really thoroughly. We're set up in these, we're in one of our pods here and we've got base base management switching and high end um, receivers that we can check all this stuff on. We also concurrently produce everything in our pipeline uh, with a stereo fold down. Not just the mixes we make of the score, but every edit we produce um, has a stereo asset associated with it uh, for various reasons, but also 
primarily um, it's just us constantly checking how our full dons work. I think we're pretty aggressive, uh, much more than film, I know, with our use of the surrounds. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, I think we put more energy back there in general and just in terms of content. Um, there are some scores where we've done some really fun things on uh, God of War Ascension. The composer Tyler Bates um, wrote a lot of the music he wrote ha- had these really intricate um, and awesome string ostinatos like uh, as as the rhythmic line for the piece and they were almost like heavy metal guitar riffs mm-hmm. played by 50 string players and he he and his orchestrator came up with a model where we recorded all that stuff separate so we did overdubs and it was super complicated in the recording sessions but we had to overdub um the entire orchestra basically playing the rhythmic parts separately from everything else they were playing and um tim williams his orchestrator had everything charted up that way and it was great because and we always record a lot of splits for interactive reasons we split up you know families strings and brass and it helps us with the mixing too but this was even this was like another level um and in london the rules are such that you can't you incur an extra fee if you do overdubs with the same players on a on a cue in the same session okay but if you do it in a different session, it's okay. So we were there for like three days for six sessions. Yeah. So we just had to track every single cue and go, okay, you know, like uh, Joel Yarger, who's on our team, had this really intricate spreadsheet and he's just like knew which piece of each cue had been recorded and needed to be reopened the next day and played again and stuff. So we get all that stuff back, we start mixing it and we send a mix to Tyler and he he listens to it in surround and he goes... Yeah, I mean, there's just nothing, you know, I thought you guys were like into using the rear speakers more. And we were like, well, what what should we do? Because we thought it was pretty cool. And he was like, put all that rhythm stuff in the back speakers. Yeah, He's like, this game, there's all this cacophony going on. In the, and by definition, the player's always looking at the action, right? Because they have to face the action. So the front speakers are full of grunting and monsters screaming and yeah. it, it, hacking and slashing. <laughs> and... uh we did that, you know, as an experiment, and it required a lot of like finessing the fold downs okay. um, to get it right. But it was awesome yeah. because in mixing the game, this combat music could live like sort of a lot hotter in the mix without stepping on anything, um, and with less compression than we were used to using on a God of War product and mm. stuff. And so it's stuff like that that we get really excited about. It's not so much using surround to have musical elements like flying around Flying your head and we yeah. we abide by i think the same basic tenets of film and tv mixing where we don't want people looking away from the screen you know what mm-hmm. was that yeah but we get pretty pretty adventurous um infamous second son yeah that had a lot of it's a yeah. it's a more like electronic rock score and it had a lot of um really interesting stuff movement in the surrounds i think something too now is that this music has another life when it comes out in the soundtrack release, which is something that has been, I don't know how long it's been going on now, but now I think with digital music distribution, it's not like you're going to Tower Records and like, where's the God of War soundtrack? It's like, it's it's much easier for you guys to... What's Tower Records? I know, exactly. Right? That's a way throwback. <laughs> but in the sense of now there's a whole other life for this music and, and how can you guys describe just the prepping of figuring stuff that is going to live in the game, stuff that's going to live in a soundtrack? What's the difference between the two? Well, that, that's one of the reasons, as Jonathan said, that we uh, do every single edit and every mix with uh, the stereo fold-down. It makes it uh, really handy when it comes time to make the soundtrack that we already have those. Okay. Um, sometimes, so, sometimes, yeah, sometimes we revisit. Sometimes we even touch them up, right, because if we know that something is going to specifically be used for that purpose, we might, you know, just give it a little more polish. Yeah. But, yeah, and, well, and we've been having fun. So um, we're publishing some of the... Um, we're starting to publish our soundtracks uh, on the PlayStation 4 now, too, in a in an app that that uh, folks can. So if you look at some recent games like um, The Order 1886, you can uh, you can actually buy Jason Graves' score uh, on the PlayStation Store, and you get this app that runs on your PlayStation, and you can listen to our surround mixes. Oh, nice! Uh, you know, free and clear on the console. Um, if you have a home theater or whatever, it also performs the fold down for you if you don't hmm. and then you can uh, press a button if you've bought the app and offload the mp3s to like a usb drive and have the soundtrack the way you would if you bought it on sure. you know because we publish on itunes and and other outlets too um but that's the kind of stuff we're, we're trying to push out there um to make it a little more unique but uh we, we do 
you know, the composers we work with are generally heavily involved in the soundtrack, too. I mean, um, mm-hmm. Gustavo Santaolalla, who uh, scored The Last of Us, um, is a phenomenal record producer, and uh, we got to to work with him on producing that soundtrack, and he was really passionate about it being like a standalone album um, in a way that, you know, you don't normally see with a with a you know with a score or a soundtrack and that well, was fun. Well, I'll say going back to just kind of setting the standards and the bar when you worked with some of these titles, that was one that really stood out and obviously it was recognized as being a new approach to how music and how sound is treated. What do you guys find now is the current challenges or things that you're excited about when it gets into now that you've learned this and you've seen the reaction, what have you guys done about that? What were your thoughts about moving forward? I mean, I think every product is going to be a little bit unique and we're always looking for you know something to have a unique sound to it whether or not uh, uh, the order 1886 is a great example of this lately where they they had no high strings okay. uh, on the score and uh, you know it it gives it or it's, brass or, or, or <laughs> brass yeah all, all men choir too uh, yeah. and yeah I mean it, it gives uh, its own sort of textural flavor in addition to what the composer is doing compositionally as well and uh, you know it's just it's just uh, it adds a little bit extra uniqueness to the product um, and you know just getting deeper into the game creatively and trying to pull as much of that into the music you know, I, I don't think that's something in any medium that anybody can be uh, perfect at. So, yeah. you know, we're always working towards that. Are there places where the music lives besides the PlayStation 4 console? Does it live in a mobile platform? Do the, are there other types of format or platforms that you guys are developing music for? Yeah, uh, yeah I mean, uh, uh, you know, there's we've worked, and over the years we've worked a lot with um, the PSP and the Vita, um, which uh, we have like less of that kind of stuff on our plate right now. We've also worked on, um, and Matt can speak to this better than Mm -hmm. I can. We've worked on some um, some games that were concurrently produced, like uh, right. I want to talk uh, about like uh, Counterspy was uh, Mm -hmm. produced uh, concurrently for PS3, PS4, iOS, and Android, um, and uh, and PS Vita. So that was a a lot of uh, a lot of platforms. Uh, yeah. And that was that was also a really interesting one because we, you know, it was a smaller game. I mean, you talk about a, a game at the scale of, of right. The Last of Us is, you know, a, an enormous game and, uh, you know, long production cycle. And then um, we also service uh, smaller teams making smaller games. And so that was, this was a really interesting one and also had uh, that added technical challenge of being on all those different platforms. So... Uh, that was a that was an exciting one for us too. And score came out great. Yeah. Um, so just to to touch on your uh, original question here, um, one of the things I think that I'm excited about in in terms of you know w- like what's coming next yeah, and sure. this new sort of landscape of of of, of uh, music and interactivity. Uh, a lot of what we do really is driven by the game itself, and so we're fortunate in that we work on a lot of different games, you know, a lot of different size games, a lot of different kinds of games. At the end of the day, what we're doing is we're drawing out interesting stuff that's already there. And what we're starting to see more is, is as these guys have mentioned, the teams are more open to us having being, being in on that collaboration earlier. So we can see opportunities maybe to make the, the music uh, even more deeply tied into that experience. And so that, I think, is, is a really exciting area in that we can approach this thing of uh, a lot of times people talk about how the video game score should make you feel like you're in your own movie. And that's a good analogy, but we're hoping to push that even further to where you can do things in a game that really you couldn't do in a movie because it's, it's responsive, it's adaptive, and, and hopefully even we, we're starting to see some examples of where we're influencing in a small way, some of the, the their design elements that actually we we can take part in in them, you know, developing and so it's that kind of um, close connection with the develop the co-development mm-hmm. of the game and the score that really is opening up new areas of uh, of uh, you know basically a deeper level of dramatic storytelling and you know the stuff that we geek out on all day. <laughs> yeah. And something we started off on was talking about just kind of this data management or understanding of how things get implemented. 
how can you guys just how do you describe just keeping the fidelity of what you're using like when you go into a project you said we have maybe this much space or this much bandwidth to to allow for music how do you describe just with as the systems get bigger and they're they have better audio engines and there's more space what where are we at right now with the playstation 4 and the titles you're working on what is the kind of the walls you guys run into then that's your that's <laughs> uh, like specifically in terms of file sizes or or what is what is the I guess what is the user the end user what is that experience when it gets to them, what does you that know, look like? It uh, a, a lot hopefully I mean you know we're budgetarily limited uh, a lot of times by how much we can have composed and recorded and what our team here uh, I think is, excels at almost more than anything is being able to take two hours or two and a half hours of music and stretch it to a fifteen sixteen. 50-hour experience uh, without hopefully being terribly repetitive. I mean, mm -hmm. uh, in a perfect world, you know, uh, you know, maybe they wouldn't recognize uh, the same recording a few times or, mm -hmm. you know, do a percussion-only version. Um, in terms of file sizes, I mean, uh, it really varies in terms of the game, and, and uh, especially now, uh, we got to a point switching to Blu-ray going from a uh, 9.2 size dual layered DVD disc to the Blu-ray uh, going 25 gigs to 50 gigs on a dual-sided one where it That's really didn't space, yeah. really didn't become an issue anymore. Um, you know, I mean, uh, I don't want to throw out any specific numbers, sure. but uh, now <laughs> then switching back to a download-based model, there's actually you know a little bit more scrutiny mm -hmm. on the the overall file size which so. is the downside is of, of giving people the flexibility or the the ease of use of having a physical disc versus a download there's nothing worse than buying a game and being really excited and watching it download for three days yeah, you yeah, know yeah, yeah. <laughs> so that is true but it, but also it seems like um i mean we're really lucky specifically with music because most of our assets are streaming assets and they're not typically um for the most part, they're not like something that's loaded into RAM space that we're competing with. Like Got it. the sound guys, the sound designers have a much tougher task of trying to plot out, mm -hmm. um, you know, this, that instant access. Although, you know, the more heavily interactive stuff we do, the more it becomes an issue because we have to buffer things in such a way that they're instant, that, that at least the head of the file is instantly accessible because we're trying to line things up. I, almost everything we do now is beat synchronous and, that's all really important. So, but but for the most part, it's less about RAM space for music and more about disk space for most of the stuff we work on. And the and the disk space issue is generally like we we've we've never really gotten uh, to. There was some of it on on these titles that have to go on portable, platforms portable like stuff. Yeah, sure. yeah. The, it it becomes an issue there, yeah. but it tends not to be uh, really a big issue for the console stuff. That's well, great to hear. Well, shifting gears here, how do you describe the industry as a whole? I would imagine the music community for video games is a somewhat small community in the sense that there's only so many people that can work on these titles in, in the studios and or on formats or on platforms. What does that do to you guys in terms of knowing what your friends and you know coworkers are doing per se? How does that affect you guys? What's the creative competition like in, in that sense? It's really good. I mean, the game audio community is amazing i mean it's uh people are really open um there are a lot of events you know um there's the game audio network guild gang which mm -hmm. uh still hosts a lot of um networking events and you know you can find people with uh you know tons of credits and experience hanging out and talking to people who've never you know who are just like trying to learn about the industry and, mm -hmm. and it's all you know and at events like um like like GDC and mm -hmm. San Francisco and things like that. Um, people are generally like in our community I, specifically. I think people are generally pretty open and pretty pretty helpful. Um, at least that's been my experience. I would every, agree. Everybody's Absolutely. helping and and competitive at the same time. I mean, I think the competition is great. I mean, we're even competitive internally. Sure. Um, in a fun way, we you know we 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 want. Uh, the, I, mean, I think you said this earlier, but like we want everything we do. To be better than the last thing we did and sometimes we're working on six or eight things at a time so you might be midstream on a project and see somebody doing something on another project and be like oh no mm -hmm. uh, we gotta change direction we gotta <laughs> <laughs> and I, I think the uh the game 
game audio industry in the last few years has just ballooned with just the sheer number of independent games that have been made, uh, especially yeah. for mobile platforms. Um, you know, it doesn't take a 200-member team to make a uh, rewarding, you know, experience. And a lot of the mobile games have really interesting audio mechanics that... Yeah. Uh, you know, uh, are incredibly mm-hmm. inspirational. So it's it's always great to see, you know, uh, something like that being able to compete creatively with mm-hmm. one of the big boys. You know, and it's like it's fun to play too. And, yeah. and it's it's cool. Like I think um, the, our industry is such a, like it's built on you know sort of techno geek like software design kind of the mm-hmm. spirit of that like. Mm-hmm. Guys like, working in their garage. Yeah, it, <laughs> it drives, um, you know, people, everyone we work with and for and stuff um, has, like, a really nice aversion to repeating themselves. Mm-hmm. Um, so, uh, creatively. So, so regardless of the scope of um, projects we get to work on, we always find the people we work with looking to a lot of those indie things. Like, when something innovative and crazy comes out, on a shoestring budget, it's like suddenly people working on huge, massive AAA titles want to change direction and like imitate this really little thing. And it's right. really interesting mm-hmm. to see how like sort of quickly those things can uh, infect the industry at large and stuff. And are you guys able to make per se like quick decisions when you're working at this level of you know the work that you guys are doing? Well, it depends on it depends on which part of the project you're talking about. But we're we're very open and collaborative. I mean, if there's any, if there's ever a time when it, we're considering taking another direction, it's not just one person saying, "I want to go this way now." Right. It's always a, a collaboration, of course, with the team as well. Yeah. But in general, we um, and I think Matt said this right at the beginning. Like we, the fact that we function as kind of a company within a company. And uh, we're really tasked with 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 running the this organization, the music team, as a as a you know a business. Yeah, like sure. I mean, we're we're really um, responsible in that way on every front. And because of that, I do think we're really agile um, compared to you know the the perception of a larger corporate ent- entity. I mean, we're really lucky because PlayStation culturally um, really encourages developer driven creativity um i think playstation as a publisher as a game publisher is super special in that way that um innovation and creativity and things like that are really prized and 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 so to matt's point like a good decision is a or a good idea is a good idea Mm, and and if you present that to the group you're collaborating with um people listen to you and so it is it's it's not always super easy to change direction but it's generally um it's not something we ever worry about like if we if we're working on a project and then the project changes in some way that like our plan for the music suddenly is like not quite on the tracks We've never had trouble fixing that. There's never been a project where we were just like, "Oh well, we started down this path." I guess we're, it's always malleable. Yeah, I think the thing that's really nice is that since you guys have kind of been here for the same amount of time, that there's a a shorthand, I guess, established of how you guys work and and how you streamline your process. With that being said, when before we start recording, you're talking about going back to the Uncharted titles and and going back and remastering this material. What what can you say you learned from looking at where you were then? To where where you guys are now, because you can probably understand. Look at just by how things were recorded, how things, the workflow you had then versus now. How would you describe it? Oh, absolutely. And you know, the implementation systems were uh, way different on those titles too. And uh, you know, just for myself, I mean, you can you can never be too organized. Right. <laughs> you know, there's there's always a, a, a an amount of work that got done between midnight and three a.m. on those titles that are. Uh, pretty hard to track down uh eight years later it turns out um Mm -hmm. (laughs) but uh i mean in the in the the mixes sound so much better in uh quad those those uh uncharted one and two were done in stereo with uh the surround reverbs and you know just mixing them from the ground up in discrete quad the mixes the spatialization it sounds way better it uh, i mean it sounds way better in the game Mm -hmm. um 
you know, it's it's like why why didn't we do this from the start? It's, well, we couldn't, yeah, you know. Yeah. <laughs> it's fun to see um, the way we did because so we're so we're we're republishing Uncharted one, two, and three as a collection, um, and and we're we're re- so as Scott said, we're remixing Uncharted one and two, but but what what you don't hear when he says that is that there's somewhere between the two games there's somewhere in the neighborhood of like 800 edits more (laughs) (laughs) yeah so there's 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 probably over a thousand edits that had to be recreated from those mixes right um and and it's interesting to you know the stems that result from us remixing um the score are a little different Mm-hmm. So like the stems, they might in some cases they might be more granular now. I mean, we have more robust production rigs than we had back then, and yeah, and uh, we've have a lot more experience. So we're thinking differently. We're like, oh, this would be great if it wasn't married to this other sound right. for the editors, right? And then so the editorial task of taking that, you know, a loop that someone cut from a piece, and and they, we we have a process we call. I think you came up with a name mm-hmm. ten years ago, but taffification, mm-hmm. <laughs> where we take a piece of music and we taffy pull it to be you know longer like maybe maybe certain sections um repeat with things muted or something sure. it's kind of like we think of it as like an accordion mm-hmm. uh, uh opening up you know mm-hmm. and or and there's and there's different ways we approach that like we've all employed different techniques you know the creative decisions you make like oh do i just repeat this section and mute the percussion the second time mm-hmm. right or am i going to repeat the whole piece at the end of the piece and make it twice as long and have the second time through be different? Am I going to mute melodies so I don't wear people? It's like going back and like seeing all those things and hearing them and then deciding how to kind of repeat that, although we're not bound to exact, you know, we're not saying unless it's a cinematic moment or something storytelling wise, we're not saying redo this edit exactly the same we're like no you know you have some creative freedom we're making this better so if you can make it better do it and it's really interesting to see what things like just totally stump someone right and what things are just like super easy because it's not always what we would have thought yeah going into it like some people open an edit that you know in my head i'd be like oh that's super straightforward and then they get into it and they show me something and they're like dude this doesn't work (laughs) at all with the new mix and yeah, no, I, I had a funny, funny experience. Uh, uh, just a few days ago, I opened up uh, an edit and I was going to recreate it, and I started cursing the editor. And then I looked in the database and found that it was me. Uh, so. <laughs> <laughs> no, 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 that's the thing that is just amazing about just this type of work and this these games in general is what we have at the time we think is the best, and yet time goes by and we look back and realize how far we've come. And I can just imagine where we're going to be. Five years from now, ten years. But it was the best of the time. It was the best of the time. Yeah, (laughs) and it's and it's you know I mean uh, it still it sounded great. But but you know we've just gotten better. Yeah, which 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 I'm sure is exciting and gives hope to you know staying in industry and committing to this type of work because we really don't know what the limits are per se. There's a lot of lot of exciting times ahead. So um, with that, I want to thank you guys so much for taking the time to talk about a little bit of what you guys do. Thank you. Yeah, yeah thank, thank you. you. Thanks for fun. coming out. <laughs>